On today's episode, we have one of my mates, Dylan. Today, we talk about the current current financial state of the world. Um, we go into a uh, little bit stocks, taking financial responsibility. But yeah, so this is my first actual Zoom podcast. So let's see how this goes. Let me know what you think of it. I hope you guys enjoy. Go. Righty then. Um, guess we'll start off with um, because you messaged me about this. Um, taking financial responsibility. <laughs> We'll go straight into that side of things if you want to kind of explain that or your take onto it, especially with the current situation. Probably introduce myself first. Um, yeah, go for that one, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well I, well, I kind of wanted to message you a little bit and speak about sort of finances. I mean, especially things that's going on and where we are in the world at the moment. Um, I guess, are you asking what financial responsibility means to me? I guess your take on it. Yeah. I don't, I'm not really sure. Different... I mean, I think being financially responsible, like the, I mean, the most important thing is spending less than what you earn. I think, I think a lot of the times in the society we live in, we're encouraged by consumerism to basically just spend our whole pay as we get it on whatever we desire at the moment. But I think taking financial responsibility is about putting away for the future. It's about knowing the meaning of sacrifice when it comes to money, because a lot of people don't. And unfortunately, when it gets to emergencies like this, people don't have anything left over. Um, so I think for me, that that's the first thing about being financially responsible, putting away an emergency fund. I mean, if anyone's ever listened to Dave Ramsey, it's the first thing he says, um, chuck away an emergency fund, six months expenses and have that ready to go. But I mean, it's different for everyone because everyone's in different circumstances when it comes to finances. Like it's, it's very easy for, you know, someone like you or I to sit here and be like, you know, you should save money from your pay, but you know, mm. you speak to a single mother who's got to fund a family who's not getting any payments from their husband and you know working a full-time job with minimal government benefits how is that woman supposed to save money so very it's yeah. a very individual question financial responsibility but i guess the base of it just seriously comes down to spending less than what you earn yeah yeah i definitely agree because like i just like notice myself even too taking like a half-ass approach to being financially responsible like at this point in time I would say I have enough money to like, you know, cover myself for a like, couple of months or whatever, but I don't have enough money to like, you know, help out others around me. And that's just more my take on financial responsibilities, be able to like help everyone in the household, not just yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Being able to, you know, be supportive financially to the people around you, the people you love. It's true. Mm. Yeah, so um, I guess what kind of got you interested in um, the whole finance scene? and investing in stocks and that? Um, well, I, I remember when I was, I always had like this view that I didn't want to like work for the rest of my life and live paycheck to paycheck and you know, live that nine to five life basically. Um, when I, I mean, started really in high school because I, I've sort of seen you know, my family and, and people around me and friends who, who do live that sort of lifestyle and, and I kind of want, didn't, never wanted to live it. Um, I only really started taking finances seriously when I was like 20. I mean, I was a dumb 18 year old. I think we all were at that age. You know, <laughs> I think you're the exception age. to the rule if you're financially responsible at 18 when you've just got a <laughs> license to go out to the ballot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think, I think even like 20s being lucky enough to be fine, like, you know, fully in the financial yeah, responsibility I mean, bit. A lot of people don't learn about money ever. Cause I mean, it's not really taught in high school, but I guess what's got me so started was Reddit really. Like, I don't know if you've ever used Reddit before. No, I've heard of it. I haven't used it yet though. Yeah. 
it's like a social media platform basically where you have like a bunch of subreddits about certain topics and i started reading mm. like personal finance subreddits and stuff like that and it just got me interested in the topic because it you know it basically painted a life where you could retire early and you know if, if you took all these sacrifices when you were younger uh, and mm. i guess that piqued my interest a lot uh, and got me into stocks and then investing and you know it's a pretty broad topic finances there's a lot of it there's investing there's saving there's you know a billion other things that's important but yeah you know I, I started reading books about the topic like the intelligent investor i think you've read that book um, yeah i got like halfway yeah. through that one <laughs> yeah no, I kind of like it, it's, he's a pretty boring writer let's put it that way it's not exactly yeah. the most exciting book it's, it's pretty repetitive i guess because i was like listening to an audio book and i'm like this is just getting way too repetitive especially for a 14 hour book <laughs> But it does have good. But it does have good <laughs> points in it. Yeah, yeah, like and, and that sort of stuff. And and I guess I actually started my investing journey on my like twenty first birthday. I bought Telstra shares. Those were like my first shares that I ever bought when they when they tanked down to like two dollars seventy. And I think I bought like a couple of thousand dollars of Telstra shares. And then I've been buying individual stocks up until probably August last year. And then in August last year, I sort of figured the market was a little overvalued. It went kind of a little bonkers um, prior to December. And, and then I've stopped investing and just been hoarding money basically. Cause, and I guess it's kind of ended up being a good thing with everything that's going on. Um, yeah. I mean, that's how I got started. Yeah, cause my story, it's like, I've always been interested in the business side of things, but it wasn't until I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I actually decided to do uh, the finance stuff. And then I started looking into crypto and then I was like read into that and I realized there's not a lot of money in that or like it's very hard to make a profit in there. Then I looked at um, investing and I kind of stuck, still stick with that now and then got into Forex trading. What's your take on cryptocurrency actually? That's a pretty interesting topic. Oh, I know a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, me and um, Ashley have spoken about it. We're talking about it on Facebook actually. And um. I don't know. I reckon this current time it might go up, especially with um, hyperinflation and uh, you know all the debt kind of like the countries are pouring onto into the system and that. So I think it might go up in price over the next six months. But I then I think it'll probably take a dip. Hmm. I mean, short of predictions. I mean, what do you think about the concept of Bitcoin or any Bitcoin. other cryptocurrency? The fact that it's a decentralized sort of currency that's not controlled by any government. I think what's your take on it as a, a medium of exchange like using it as money do you think it's ever gonna become like the point where you could go down to kmart and buy something with a bitcoin mm, no i generally don't think so because especially with having like no restrictions behind it and a lot of government mm. policies, like policies don't want anything like that because mm. it's yeah, very hard I mean, to have control over i guess yeah, yeah. Well, the ATO is struggling to tax it at the moment. They're spending like, I think they sent out like $350,000 letters, um, 350,000 letters to people who like yeah. reminding them to report it on their tax return and stuff. Because people obviously, they're just not reporting any like crypto gains on their tax returns. A lot of yeah. those people who make like shitloads of money from Bitcoin and, and all the other yeah. accounts. But just I guess how would you, <laughs> yeah, I guess for, like how would you report that to tax though? Like, because it's very, it's just a capital price. gain. Yeah. This is a, like, so you've just got to, when you do your tax return, like on any stock mm. or anything like that, you've got to report the price you bought it at, and then you've got to report the price you sell it at. And then the ATL view, like, 
that difference between the yeah, purchase yeah, price and the sale price as your capital gain. And then that's counted as like personal income. So that, that's how they like meant to calculate it. But people just like subvert the system basically. And yeah. so the ATO is going crazy about it. But yeah. And how'd you get into Forex trading? Like I, I've never even tried to, to trade Forex. Funny, funny enough, like, cause when I was looking into investing, I kind of just picked up a book that was Forex trading. And then like, I didn't really think anything of it. And I jumped into a couple, like, I was reading the book kind of as you go and having no idea what, you know, what it was kind of thing. And then jumped onto a couple of YouTube videos and started talking about it. And since I said it was the biggest market in like trading market in the world, it's like, you know, shit, yeah, let's jump into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a bit scared to do, uh, do any form of currency like Bitcoin or crypto. Or, or, you know, Forex or anything like that. But yeah, yeah. Well, how do you go with it? Um, at the, well, when I was properly doing it, I wasn't going too bad. I was breaking even, which that's pretty good for like, in, especially someone in their first year. But then I lost like a fair bit and then I kind of like drifted away from it and then started on to like, you know, and this is, that's when I started on this business and like doing the podcast kind of stuff. Yeah pretty scary investment any form of currency because yeah like you gotta be really good in order to trade currencies but yeah also too you gotta be very focused and you have to have a lot of dedication and time because some people could take some people could do it in two years if you're lucky enough and then other people could take you know four five ten years before you come profitable so like what would your take I guess be on it for, even though you haven't really invested it or traded it what's your take on it on currency trading yeah uh i would never do it because there's no underlying asset yeah so like when you invest it when you invest in a bit like anything you you you've got to think about what an asset actually is and i think mm. i think a lot of people like misconceive the notion of an asset like a lot of people will be like hey i've got a i've got a car that's an asset right mm. i'd argue it's not an asset it's a liability assets liability. produce money Assets mm. produce something that's worthwhile. I mean, I guess a car is an asset in the sense that it gets you to work or some people use their car for work. But for a lot of people, cars are money, money pit. Like, you know what I mean? Like you spend it on gas, maintenance, everything like that. I'd, I wouldn't invest in any form of currency. And it's, I'm not saying it's wrong to because a lot of people made a shitload of money off investing in currencies and crypto and everything like that. My issue with it is that you're not investing in anything tangible that's producing something. So, for example, if I bought Telstra shares, which I do own, you know, there's a business that supports it, that generates income, and it's going to continue to generate income into the future. Whereas mm. the US dollar is just going to sit there twiddling its thumb, earning the bullshit interest rate that the Fed's got, which is like 2%. Like, if you're holding, like, Australian dollars, for example, our, our interest rate is 0.25%. Like, the best mm. interest rate you can get on any savings is, like, 1.9%. You're making 1.9% on your money. Whereas if you invest in a business that's growing at like 20% a year, you're making 20% returns over and over and over and over again. And it can continue that into the future. You get businesses like Amazon, which have gone from like 60 cents a share to $2,000 a share at, the, mm. at their peak. And that's why I've always been like heavily focused into equity markets because there's some underlying business that supports it that's going to continue growing if you pick the right businesses. Same with property. Property is a good one because you have tenants in the property. Not only is the asset going to sit there and grow because the demand for property is going to continue to increase, but you've also got someone living in your home paying you, you know, every single week in order to live there. So I'm a very, I'm a very like tangible sort of like you have to invest in something that's there sort of person. 
that's another reason I won't invest in businesses that are highly valued, that have huge price to earnings multiples because they're not investing in the current business. You're investing in what everyone thinks the future of the business is going to be like. A great example is Afterpay. Afterpay is not even profitable, but you know it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Uber, Uber when it launched in its IPO, launched at a market cap of like $46 billion and that company loses about $2 billion a quarter. Hmm. What are you investing yeah, in? Something that <laughs> saves money into the floor? Because that's what it is. Yeah, because most people don't look at that kind of side, like especially with the earnings per a share and all that kind yeah. of stuff. They kind of miss out on that. They just kind of like see, you know, say for Uber, for example, a big company and you know, you just chuck the money in there. You kind of pray to God it all works out. Yeah, well, Uber was like one of the biggest investments for millennials last year. <laughs> like, it's something because we invest in what we know. We use Uber all the time to go to the valley, to go to the mate's house when we're pissed. You know what I mean? Like everyone uses Uber, but a lot of people don't actually like delve into the actual thing that they're investing. In. And, and, and I think if you're going to invest in like something at all, like if you're going to put money into it, you need to understand what it is. You need to understand the business. You need to understand what you're investing in. And if you don't, then just put your money in, in an ETF. Yeah, that's definitely true. Definitely agree with that. Um, I guess what type of shares do you generally invest in or that kind of fancy you? Do you have a particular time or do you kind of just go with whatever looks best? I usually invest in companies that uh, have a... The market cap is equivalent to their book value. And what I mean by that is... Benjamin Graham, when he wrote um, The Intelligent Investor in Security Analysis, he, he spoke about having what's called a margin of safety. And the margin of safety is basically like no one can pick exactly when the, you know, when a stock's overvalued, undervalued. Anyone that tells you that they're like fantastic at picking exactly how much a stock is valued is talking at their ass. They have no idea mm. what they're talking about. At the end of the day, like if you've got to invest in businesses that are safe, that you know you're going to get a return on, because otherwise it's not investing, it's speculating. Um, what I invest in is companies that the, the value of the things on their books, so like the tangible things they have, cash, short-term assets, everything like that. I invest in those that have a market cap that's basically equivalent to that. So if, they, if the company was to liquidate tomorrow, I would still get my money back versus where you invest in like companies that are, have crazy valuations based on these, you know, thinking what their revenue is going to be like. You know, if the company went broke, then you'd lose all your money. But then I do invest in some companies that like, for example, Facebook is one that is not, doesn't really fit that mold, but I still, I still bought into it because I mean, everyone yeah, uses but- Facebook. I don't think it's ever going to go away. So. No, because Facebook definitely has the, I guess, the marketplace or the ownership of the marketplace you know any new social media account yeah you know comes there's, out there's no competition yeah they buy it all straight off the bat or they if they can't buy it it'd be pretty much popular algorithms anyway yeah well literally like facebook just ripped snapchat like do you remember when snapchat came out with stories and facebook just like ripped yeah. it off them that's what zuckerberg mm. does he's a genius he just steals everyone else's work and mm. doesn't get punished for it really I mean, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing I invest in just things with like tangible value that, you know, they're not going to be like the crazy companies like Afterpay, for example, on the Australian market that are just like the, the hot things of the day. I invest in like boring shit, like AGL, Telstra, 
like mm. just the boring boring companies that are going to end up making money in the future yeah what about you? Have you have you um, bought I'm, any stocks yeah, yeah i'm all buying uh, what i have at the moment it's sabot actually i've sold majority of them at the this point in time, so I could probably reinvest in the next couple of months. Um, so I did have Facebook stocks, I have Amazon. I actually bought a couple of weed stocks, especially in America, with the US markets. But that's kind of a risk in itself because a lot of them are startup and then laws, the federal laws are different to the state laws and all that kind of you know stuff. But generally they're pretty cheap, so they're probably good like startup kind of thing to look at because majority of them should grow in the long term. And then also to have an index fund, which that pretty much is, uh, so that just takes, you know, say a couple of bucks out each week and invest it in the top 100 companies in the world. So it's like just a high interest savings account. What's that? Is that Raise or? No, it's on Spaceship. Oh yeah, I used to have Spaceship, yeah. Yeah, because I eventually, because I do want to get, look into, um, what's the top company called? on the tip of my tongue can't remember but i'm gonna get want to get into another company but that's at least a couple like tens of thousands dollars worth to get an index on it all right i think vanguard that's it oh yeah yeah i've been looking yeah. at vanguard yeah yeah do well, so what's your take on what's your take on etfs then do you prefer them over like individual individual stocks or um at this current time because you don't have to do a lot of research into them yeah yeah, that's the best part about them. Yeah. And like Jack Bogle wrote a book. I'm not sure if you've read it, a little book on common sense investing. Have you ever read that? No, I think, no, I haven't. I no, so he, he's the guy who started Vanguard. Um, yeah. And he wrote this book on, on ETFs and why they're basically better than picking stocks. He basically said that anyone who tries to pick stocks is going to end up losing money in the long run. Your best bet is just to go straight into an ETF. Don't do any of the research. Just let your money sit there and just grow over time. So mm. he, rec- he he thought that ETFs were way better. I mean, he might have had a vested interest in saying that since he owned Vanguard. But yeah, you know. Well, well I've read a book called I'll-, I'll Teach You Be Rich. And then there's Barefoot Investor too that all said the same thing. Like if you don't want to do, I guess you know, take that massive risk index funds or you know, whatever you're saying, probably the best bet to go. Because then you can kind of pick what kind of stocks you want to invest into. Like for me, for example, I invest into the top 100 companies in the world. Or you can say invest into, you know, the Australian stock market or, you know, tech, you know, and all the rest of it, blue collar. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon ETFs are probably the best way to go for most, like, people. Because, I mean, picking stocks is basically a full-time job. Yeah. At the end of the day. Like, like reading through companies' reports, like some of these companies post like 100-page reports. It's, it's a lot to actually like read them all, compare them to other people, other companies that are similar. So at the end of the day, I think ETFs are probably the best way to go for most people. Just put the money in there, dollar cost average in, like put like, you know, whatever you can afford basically into it at a consistent pace. But, you think of it too, button. think of it too, it's a lot cheaper than... um putting your money in the super accounts or putting extra, you know, extra couple of bucks a week into your super accounts. You don't have to pay all the, um, you know, all the fees that super charges you too. Mm. When you look into that. Well, you still pay um, super, super, it depends on your super fund really. Like mm. some super funds don't charge many, much fees at all. Yeah. Um, like 
they just charge like a percentage of your invested capital. That's, that's the way that the superstructure usually works. And then they charge you like for insurance. Um, yeah. But I think the government like outlawed a lot of that automatic insurance policies that came with uh, superannuation funds. I think the biggest benefit for super is tax because like mm. people that are on a really high tax bracket, they're better off putting their money in a super fund rather than investing in an ETF because super's taxed at like 15, I think it's 15 cents on the dollar. And then like if you're in the top tax bracket, you're paying 49 cents in the dollar. So when you put money into your super fund, you're automatically making a 30% return on your capital. So, mm. Yeah, that's probably like, a better way to go. Yeah, I mean, you get it back on your tax return basically. Um, but that's if you make like voluntary contributions uh, and not many people do. Yeah. Like, do you make voluntary super contributions? Uh, I- I've always thought about anyone. doing it. <laughs> it's always been in the back of my mind, but it's not something that I've wanted to do. Yeah. I, I don't think many people our age even think about super, let's yeah. be real. No. I remember I was reading something um, on Facebook. Someone made a status and they were like, why is my super going down? The government's taking money out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. No. I know. It's like... Actually, while we're on the topic of that, because I've seen so many of these types of statuses and it's like people are so, you know, I guess financially uneducated of how the system actually works. So see so many things, especially with this like bailout, bailout or whatever, is like where they're always like, where are this money coming from and blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Where does the money come from? Yeah, it's just printed out finance. It's kind of a debt thing. Yeah, they it's just like, buy bonds. They just issue bonds. Because hmm. I was watching like a, well, there's actually like plenty of YouTube videos you can actually watch that explains it pretty. Hmm. The way they explain it on there is, um, say, say like the central bank prints it off to the, I mean, to the government after their, you know, the interest rates they're at, and that's what the government borrows it at. And then the government filters through the banks, and the banks filter it through to us, and then we pay it all debt back with our tax money we do we do pay we definitely mm. do pay it back by our tax money um mm. i mean what i mean what the government does is they they yeah. issue bonds they they so yeah. like the, the central bank will will basically like do like a credit raise they'll be like hey we want like you know 130 billion dollars to support this job keeper payment so what they do is mm. they construct something called a bond which is effectively like a, a loan over a certain yeah. period of time at a certain interest rate and then they'll be like who wants to buy our bonds and then you know yeah. they'll have foreign investors you know people in super like superannuation funds mm-hmm. they'll buy those bonds and that will give the money cash like that will give the government cash straight up like you know it's similar to getting a mortgage like you know mm-hmm. you'll get that money up front and then the government will pay it back like over 30 40 years or, or whatever so what we're doing with, you know, with all the stimulus that we're seeing the government do at the moment, they're just issuing debt that we'll end up, yeah. you know, but that we'll end up having to pay back in future generations. But the government's yeah. always done that. I don't think mm. it's like some big conspiracy or anything like that. Like in the ninth, in the nineties, like the, the government printed fucking, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, even though it's less than what they're doing today on an, on an inflation basis, the, the stimulus is pretty similar. Um, our government's never really run much of a surplus. We're, we're similar to America. We, we love debt. We just get more and more in debt every single time. I mean, with interest rates as low as they are, we're not actually suffering too much from it. But 
it's mm. going to be interesting to see if we can maintain our credit rating and people would still be willing to buy our bonds in the future because we're going to have a lot of debt after everything that's going on. And I think most countries will. Yes, because I, I also... They're looking, special central banks are looking at trying to um, cut interest, I mean, what's it called? Uh, interest on um, bonds to like, you know, developing countries and that. Or interest on their debt. Do you say, what do you mean? Like they were going to cut the interest rate for foreign debt? So like, um, say with third world country or developing countries, they're looking yeah. at, so their central banks are looking at, so they didn't have to pay their, some, where the current situation didn't have to pay back their debt with interest. Or like the government. Oh yeah, so they're, so they're defaulting on their, on their bonds. Yeah. Or, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. That's what they want to do, yeah. Well, I mean, Venezuela has been doing that. Like, they're defaulting on, on a lot of their debts. And, I mean, I think we'll see a lot of developing nations default on, mm. their, on their foreign debt, uh, which the, is a disaster, really. With the current situation, do you reckon the financial system will collapse or do you reckon a rebound? Well, well I, think we'll see a, I think we'll see probably a lot of suffering in the future. Because um, mm. what, what we're seeing at the moment is the, you know, retail industry, hospitality industry, the tourism industry has shut down completely, which means there's a lot of money that's all of a sudden not going into the economy. And when you think about that on a global scale, like, you know, there's, there's a lot more industries than just the ones, ones I mentioned that are being shut down. What we haven't seen is the medium term effects. So the medium term effects are, you know, all those, you know, bills that aren't being paid right now, that are, they're not going away. No one's going to waive those bills. Interest mm. on mortgages is not going away. The banks have put a hold on repayments, but they're still charging interest and people are going to have to make up that money. What we'll see mm. is in the next six months, we'll see a lot of people struggling financially. And I don't think that's going to lead to a collapse of the economic system and we're not going to have anarchy and, you know, we're not, but we're, we're going to see struggling. Like, I, I think, mm. I think, I think people, people in our generation have never seen a crisis. Like, we, how old were you when the GFC happened? Like 12? Yes, probably younger than that. Like, I mean, we, we, we saw the GFC, but Australia really wasn't badly hit yeah. by it. And we were mm -hmm. too young to even understand it. So I think a lot of like a millennial, or not millennials, but our gen I don't even know what our generation is. I think we're Generation Z. Okay, we're, 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 yeah. we're GZ. So, I mean, I think a lot of us have never really seen like, true suffering when it comes to this sort of stuff. So I think it'll be a big wake up call for, for everyone, but I don't think we're gonna see like anarchy. I think we might see, you know, it'll take a couple of years to recover, but it always does recover at the end of the day. It's just, we've got to ride it out and we've got to do it together. Uh, I, think, I think we need to pull together a lot of the community and everything like that. We, we can't let it, you know, what's going on drive, drive everyone apart basically, which, which does happen when stress comes into things because when people get stressed, you know, they do pretty shitty things. Crime goes up, suicides go up. You know, mm. I think I think it'll be a challenging time going forward, but I think we'll recover. What about you? Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree, man. You pretty much said what I was going to say. I do think it's yeah. going to bounce yeah. back. I don't see a collapse ever happening, or like anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I short of global warming ruining the environment yeah. and us not being able to have Earth anymore, I think the economy yeah. is still going to run. But yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. never going to be. But yeah, but yeah, bro, I'll probably wrap it up on this question, man. Um, what would your tips be to financially prepare yourself for the future or for the next coming events like this or something similar? Just save up an emergency fund. I know it's probably hard for a lot of people, but mm. just cut, like, just live, live like you're poor because most people are. 
I think mm. like I think that's really the message. Like, I get it's nice to like be able to go out and do things all the time and go on holidays and, and you know take off debt to be able to buy the next best thing. But at the end of the day, like you gotta set yourself up for when stuff like this happens and just you know calm down a little bit and save money. But I mean, at the end of the day, you gotta enjoy life too. So it's it's about finding that balance between like you know saving money and being financially responsible and then also having fun yeah i definitely agree with that i guess at this point in time with what's happening in the world will teach everyone how much how little money you actually do need to live mm. in some I think so. but yeah all right yeah cheers for that man all right cheers man hope you enjoyed today's episode guys make sure you share your own friends tell us what you think give it a thumbs up subscribe and all that jazz all right cheers